change around my team, yeah, we off the leash. You could look us in the eyes and see we have peace. Black and gold, that's the colors when we go to war. When we step up on that field, you go hear my roar. We them tiger cats, we them, we them tiger cats. We them tiger cats, we them, we them tiger cats. Yeah, nobody hitting harder. Better keep your guard up, cause with everything we drop, we can score it when we wanna. Welcome to Podskiwiwi. I'm Josh Smith. And I'm Mike Graham. So, Mike, we have a fair bit to get into this week, but I like to think of our show as the podcast of the people. And as the podcast of the people, I think we need to talk about what the people are talking about. And for reasons that are beyond my comprehension, Mike, people are talking about Slurpee Cups. That is the topic du jour of CFL Twitter now. If you're listening to us right now and have no idea what we're talking about, that means that you haven't spent any time on Twitter talking to CFL fans. For that, I applaud you because it can be a cesspool sometimes. But if you have spent any time online this week, you will have seen that a lot of CFL fans and some media are arguing about these new CFL collector Slurpee cups that are being sold at 7-Elevens across the country. I think, is it Thursday Night Football that's sponsoring, that's being sponsored by 7-Eleven this year? I think it is, right? I believe so, yeah. Yeah, so like this, I, I even think, I think it was Travis of the 2 and podcast was like, well, if 7-Eleven is sponsoring Thursday Night Football, there should be tie-in Slurpee Cups. And, th- and this isn't the first time that the CFL has had Slurpee. Like, I have on my kind of wall of merchandise here, I have a, a Ticats, like, a big kind of Slurpee mug. Um, maybe I'll take a picture of it, and I'll post it on our on our Twitter page. I got that at 7-Eleven, I don't know, 2010, 2009, like, between, between 2009 and 20 in 2011, I think, is when I picked it up. So this is not the first time they've done that, but it's something they're doing. They've, they've, they've somehow made these cups and they're distributing them. But since we're talking about the CFL, there has to be something about this that gets buggered up, right? Like something, if, it, if it's CFL-related, something there's always something that has ticked people off. There are some fans out there that are taking issue with the fact that team cups will only be sold in the home market of that team. I'm not entirely sure I buy that as a valid criticism what about you like i think that makes sense like why would you send and i'm going to have an anecdotal story a little bit about something that maybe contradicts this but i think that makes sense where like why would you send red black stuff out to bc like i don't think it would sell very well right like i don't really see a problem with this no i I don't have a problem with it either you're exactly right i'm like there's not gonna be maybe if you're you know pushing rough rider stuff there might be you know fans spread mm-hmm. out across the country um but but other markets it's just it's a you know a business decision on their part i'm sure that you know they're not going to smell uh, smell they're not going to sell many uh you know ottawa red blacks cups in hamilton or or toronto or whatever so yeah i i people are freaking out about it but i'm not um i'm not that concerned now i think that being you know a, a sponsorship with 7-eleven is a great thing and, and getting those cups out there is a great thing because you know everyone goes to convenience stores um if you see cfl stuff more regularly in your normal life then maybe people will be like huh what is that you know maybe i should look into the cfl more often so i think the 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 idea of it is great the only 
aspect of the lack of a national like I think the way that the CFL could have avoided this was just put all the logos on the cups and you sell a CFL cup mm-hmm. and then everyone's ha- you know what I mean because I have seen yeah. some people talk about those and and for some because everyone always looks back on their youth fondly right they, those 1970s Dairy Queen helmets that you know you get ice cream yep. in a CFL helmet those things apparently I saw someone post a link that they're selling for like a hundred bucks on eBay. And people are like, you want the whole collection. And I kind of get that. It, to me, it's a little different. This is not like a set. Like, would you really want nine different co- – like, where the hell are you going to put – like, you, I mean, if you have the space for it, awesome. I, not, I don't think very many people do. But that, I, I kind of see it in that where you'd want all of them. But I think the league could have – if they would have gotten together with 7-Eleven, could have been like, oh, what about – what about like a just – maybe you do the individual cups. Then you also do one that's like it's got every logo on it. Maybe that would have worked. I, I don't know. There's there's also been some members of the media that have been wondering why a bunch of adults are arguing about plastic cups. But <laughs> I, you get, just stop being party poopers with this stuff, man. Like people like like the Ticats just had the uh, their last home game was the Hall of Fame game and they were giving out rally towels of Orlando Steinhauer and I couldn't make it to the game. So I asked some people if they'd be able to pick me up one. I was, I'm going to probably going to try to send one to my brother. Like those things are cool. Like people like merchandise, they like collectibles and they're like, like why would you be like a kind of a, a dick about that sort of stuff? You know what I mean? Like, but people like what they like. I don't understand why that's gotta be such a big problem. No, people just like to, you know, shit on everybody's fun. So that's just the way, you know, Twitter is right. So yeah, I guess so. The one problem that there is with this, however, is that two of the CFL cities, Ottawa and Montreal, don't have 7-Elevens. So, Which is surprising to me. I, I did not know this. Yeah. So, so I knew Ottawa. So I went to visit Ottawa for the first time as an adult in 2009, I believe. And they they had they still had them then. And then I went back, I think, for the first time, I think it was either 2014, maybe 2015. And they were gone. So in the span of like six, seven years, they they gotten rid of them. Which is kind of weird. Now, Hamilton, so we used to have maybe, I'm thinking like five or six. We're down to two. So I, is 7-Eleven just not as – like they, I know they shut one down. Anyone out there who knows Hamilton geography will will know this. But like the old Henderson Hospital, it's now Jurovinsky Hospital, there used to be a 7-Eleven across the street. Well, they were going to turn that into a parking lot for the hospital. So 7-Eleven like pulled out and like they just shut the place down. And then that didn't happen, and then they replaced it with, like, a big bee or a big bear or a big – some animal with a bee. And now it's like, well, that was – because that was the 7-Eleven as a kid because I used to live within walking distance of that that me and my friends would, like, we – this is going to go – this is a deep cut. But me and my friends used to watch ECW on TNN on Friday nights, and then mm-hmm. after the show, we'd all get together in the corner and walk over to 7-Eleven, discuss the show. This is what you did. Anyone out there who's listening who's like, why didn't you just talk about it on your cell phone? Like – not right. to sound like an old man, but this no. is what you did as a kid, like yeah. I, 17, yeah. 18 years old. We'd like, let's go get Slurpees. And this is how, is how innocent we were. Like, instead of like, let's go get girls. We're like, let's watch wrestling on yeah. a Friday yeah. night. And then we're going to get together and we're going to go get, we're going to go for a walk to the get Slurpees to discuss the show we just watched and how awesome it was. So that, that you know what I mean? But that, that one's gone now. Now there's only two left. So I, I guess that that's what happened in these two markets. They, they, they closed their their 7-Elevens and now it kind of it does kind of feel bad that those those fans in those cities maybe they're just kind of out of luck that does kind of suck yeah yeah but like we were talking about earlier you know that's just the way the cfl like yeah. i think the the new um million dollar to win uh contest is save on foods and they're only mm-hmm. based in the west so you know it's, it's been a it's been a problem for the cfl for a long time to get you know nationalized you know contests or, or merchandise or whatever like that so uh, it's something, you know, it's not their fault. It's not the CFL's fault with this uh, Slurpee Cup 
ordeal, but uh, you know, it's something they could work on for sure. I'll cut this out if you don't want this to go public, but you work at a Save on Foods, right? Correct. That's the company where – who are they owned by? Uh, uh, West – no, 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 no. Uh, Overweighty, Overweighty Food Group or something? Oh, I, don't, I don't know who that is. Because, like, you know, because, like, the big the – big, there's Loblaws, who I used to work for. There's Sobeys, and there's Metro, or, like, the big ones out here. I just didn't know mm-hmm. if they were – if they because because it used to be before it was Save on Foods it used to be Safeway and I think Safeway is owned I think that's the I same family I think they're different I don't think they're they're connected they're not oh okay so it's just no, okay. I, don't believe so. I think Safeway was owned by Metro but then I, again I maybe Save on because again they are a Western thing like the I'd never heard of Save on Foods until I visited you and mm-hmm. I mean unless I'd heard it on like I can't remember back you know that was four years ago now but I'd never really heard of like. You go, you go to like when I until I visit you in Edmonton, I was like, I didn't save on foods isn't isn't the they should really change their name though, because you do not save on food <laughs> at that store. <laughs> well, yeah, I know that well, you no one saves on groceries anywhere now, but that's uh, true. That's true. All right, to get this back on, we've spent I think way too much time talking about this, but I do have an anecdote to share with you, Mike, before we move on. Whatever you think of these surfy cups like that, that's cool. Like the kind of I don't know. Maybe this has been executed poorly. I don't know. It's not in the CFL, though. I think we need to make that perfectly clear. It's not like the CFL's like, screw this up. This is all on 7-Eleven. But so this has been the talk of of the online chatter. So earlier today, we record this on Tuesday. I'm like, I go to Ticats practice afterwards. I'm like, kind of sit. I can't get home. Kind of sitting home. Like, you know what? All this talk about Slurpees. I want to, I want to go get one. And I don't live that close to the local 7-Eleven. So to, for me, and I was like, oh, it's kind of nice outside. I'm going to go for a walk. It was like a 45-minute walk for me to get there. But I got, you know, I don't do as much physical stuff anymore now that my job has changed. I was oh, I got no problems going for a walk, putting in some headphones, listen to my favorite podcast, which uh, is not a CFL podcast. Sorry, everyone out there. But it's a podcast. Run all podcasts. You can just ask me, ask me online. I'll tell you. It's, it's fantastic. And I'm just like, oh, okay, this give me a chance to listen to a couple episodes. I'll go for, uh, I'll go for a little walk. I head on over to the 7-Eleven, walk in, thinking, ah, oh, this is great. This is one, again, this is one of two 7-Elevens in the city. Not only did they not have Thai Cats cups, Mike, you know what they had instead? Argos cups. Mm-hmm. Argos cups, Mike. Mm-hmm. In Hamilton? Mm-hmm. Are you joking me? Like, I feel bad. For someone who like lives in a city like you, for instance, you live in a city where you don't cheer for that team. But I live in a CFL market and I can't even get my team's cup here, man. This is uh this this to me this to me is ridiculous. Like I don't know if this is simply they didn't make any Thai Cats cups, like are, are we just not gonna get any? Or if the people running this are just idiots or something else entirely. But there's one more seven eleven in this city that I'm gonna go to. I'm gonna try to get there this week. If I go there and they don't have any tie cats cup, Mike, I think I'm boycotting seven eleven forever. I think I'm just I'm thirty-five year customer at seven eleven, buying slurpees since I was like five or six years old. I'll switch. I, I I know people are like frosters are inferior, but the circle K is it's literally a five minute walk. It's way closer. I'm gonna start going there just just to make my I'm, I will pull my business. From 7-Eleven, if I, if I go to the only other 7-Eleven in the city and they don't have Ticats cups, I'm going to be ticked off, buddy. I'm going to be super just, ticked. Just, just an ab- abomination. You it's know, ridiculous. it's like, like it's worse than not having any cups. You yeah. Know? You have a Toronto Argonauts cup in Hamilton. Uh, I don't know if they just sent them out like, oh, it's kind of in the region of Toronto. Uh, they'll just, you know, I, I don't know. I can't explain it, Josh, but it, it's it's not good. It's not good. You know what doesn't make any sense to me, though? It Again, I don't want to get into the whole fandom stuff. 
they're going to sell way more Ticats cups. They're going to sell Argos cups. There's mm-hmm. the numbers are that there are way more Ticats fans than Argos fans. I like as much as I hate. I mean, I don't hate to say it. I'll throw it in their face all the time. They want to throw in that stupid great cup stuff. I'm throwing that they have 16 fans, but you know what I mean? Like, I don't, I, it just, it doesn't make any sense to me. It just doesn't make no. any sense to me. It's just another blunder. Again, not the CFL's fault. It attached to them, unfortunately, but yes, this, attached. this is all on Seven Eleven. Yeah. Seven Eleven is, uh, you know, this, we might as well be sponsored by Seven Eleven. how much we've talked <laughs> about Seven Eleven. how many times we said Seven Eleven so far, but yeah, it's, uh, Toronto Argonauts, you know, get that, get that trash out of there. Who's going to buy that trash? Nobody. You know what I mean? Nobody. Nobody. Well, here's the thing. If we, if I come back next week and I have not gotten a Hamilton Tiger Cats 7-Eleven cup, we will come on here, talk about that, and then we will never mention, they will be dead to me. So yep. as far as I'm concerned, if they're dead to me, Mike, they're dead to us. We're a team, buddy. Mm-hmm. We're a team. Or no more 7-Eleven. Done. Uh, I won't, I won't go, I won't go there either. Uh, okay. I'll boycott it with you. Solidarity. All right. Uh, this is, I mean, now that we've had some fun, are you ready to get nice and, nice and depressed here, buddy? Because yeah. uh, we didn't do an instant reaction show on Friday night. There was a delay. It was midnight here when the game ended. It, in my time, I was just like, and the game's, it was bad. Hamilton lost 26 to 12. It was a disaster of a loss to the Bombers. So I I didn't have the energy to do it. You didn't have the energy to do it, even though it's ended a lot earlier where you are. So we just decided we we're going to go old school style and, and kick it on the, do a game review like we used to do back in the day. I mean, I guess it was last season, not really that far back. You ready to talk about this one then? There's a, a lot that went wrong for the Cats in this one, Mike. Um, but you know, I think there's really only one place we can start, and I think you'd agree with me here, the offensive line. They were, I'm going to censor myself, they were effing terrible. Yeah. Things, in my opinion, I thought they started off decently enough. I saw Tyrone Riley, the rookie American tackle, Stonewall Willie Jefferson on a pass rush early in the game. And I'm thinking, all right, maybe this won't be so bad. It was like on the second or third drive of the game. And then it, it, it'd be so bad. Every single lineman got their lunch money stolen and then watched as Winnipeg's defensive lineman use that money to take their the old lineman's girlfriends out for, for dinner. Like, that's how mm-hmm. bad this was. This might have been... I won't I, again. I don't like to be hyperbolic, but this was one of one of the single worst offensive line performances I've ever seen. What about you? What did you think about this? It was it's definitely it's definitely up there. I'm not exactly sure how many sacks they gave up, but it doesn't really matter. I think I mean, it was only pressure, one. That, that's all. The they only gave up one. They only gave up one sack, but that. But and it doesn't like, matter because the pressure on the quarterback was relentless. There was no running game. You're right. It, it was maybe not as bad as the eight sack home or uh, season opener, but this was a putrid performance. And I thought that you know the play calling was similar to the last game with those quick passes, but Winnipeg was all over that. It just goes to show you that sacks aren't necessarily the be all end all stat, no. right? No, you know what pissed me off about um, the game too. I forget who was calling the game. But Everything. Saying, yeah, well, yeah. I think it was Suter, <laughs> but. He was saying, you know, the you know uh, Dylan Wynn and you know the guys in the middle have been really quiet so far this year. They haven't had any sacks, and it's, it's, that's not the job of uh, interior defensive linemen. Like if they get sacks, that's awesome. That's more of an outside defensive lineman thing to get pressure on the quarterback. So I don't think you can judge, uh, you know, uh, defensive tackles by sacks. I think oh, that's absolutely stupid. not. Yeah, I know we've been spoiled. Like Dylan Wynn, his first year in Hamilton, and eleven sacks. Teddy Laron, I think, has had he's had seasons where he's had eight, nine, seven, eight, nine sacks. Mm. 
Michael Johnson, he coming over, I think, I think his last, was it his last year in Calgary, I think had double digit sacks. And then he went to, he went to uh, Saskatchewan and I think he only had two or three and everyone's like, well, what's wrong with that? It's like, you're right. Like interior defensive linemen, their job is to essentially clear up any blocks in front of them so that the linebackers can go make plays. It's the guys on the edge that are supposed to be getting the sacks, not the guys, the guys in the middle getting sacks. That's a bonus. And that, that's great. Like if Dylan Wynn finishes this year with like eight or nine sacks, that's awesome. But that's not, that's not his job. And I don't know. I, some of the commentating, we, we could, we could get into that one day of yeah, like, they well, just in this game alone, we'll talking about the offensive line. Glenn Suter made it sound like this was an entirely new offensive line. And that wasn't the case. It was no. one different guy. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, like, it, they yeah, moved. Riley at left tackle, Okafor left guard, Gibbon it was, center, it, born call, and then Van Zyl. Van Zyl, like Van Zyl, Gibbon, uh, Riley, Vorn and call all played those positions a week yep. ago. Yep. It was the only difference was Okafor. And if you would have watched that game and maybe not, you know, because offensive line play isn't exactly something that everyone pays attention to. But I, I'm, I'm assuming most people don't pay attention mm-hmm. to offensive line play. But you would have thought, oh, well, this makes sense. They're starting five brand new. I, maybe he said that, that Van Zyl was the same because, I mean, how do you screw that up? But that's not that, like, you're getting misinformation. And that's one of the things that I hate. Like, if you're going to give that information out, at least get it right. Like, this, yeah. like, and that, that to me, then, it, you know, if you're a fan, a casual fan, you're like, oh, starting a completely new offensive line, going up against the defending Grey Cup champions. It's like, oh, this makes sense why they struggled. And it's like, no, man, like. And the one guy they put in there has been with the team for like six years. Like if he's not ready mm-hmm. to play now, when's he going to be ready? And we've obviously had the Okafor conversation many times before, but oh, I, I hate that stuff. When I listen to, to, to commentators on these games and I, and I understand their job is to like, it's not to be super in depth, but they can be a lot better because if you watch this game, you thought the Tigers had a completely different offensive line and most harder core fans would have known that's simply not the case. Yeah, I mean, there's there's some guys that were, I mean, the left tackle was new, and there were some guys that were shuffled around a little bit, but yeah, to say that was just completely false. So, you know, the offensive line had a really bad day. Just the offense overall was just terrible. Yeah, part and parcel with the terrible line play was, unfortunately, the terrible play of the quarterback. Dane Evans, I think, for the most part, has been pretty bad this year, honestly, and I know we're both fans of him, but... I haven't liked the way he's played. He he looks indecisive. He he just he, I, again a lot of this has to do with how poor the the line has played because he's not he doesn't seem comfortable in there. But mm-hmm. people are probably going to point out after we after we post this that he's leading the league in passing yards. But frankly, like I don't care and I don't think you do either. Like he continues to turn the ball over. He threw another two interceptions in this one. He now leads the league in that category with six. People have been making excuses for those interceptions. A lot of people like, oh, it bounced off the receiver's hands and all that other sorts of stuff. And maybe some of them are just unlucky throws. But to me, I honestly, I don't care about that as an excuse. He's he's throwing too many passes that could be picks anyway. Like in this game, if you go back, there were two plays that he threw him. They hit the hit the defender right in the right in the chest. It could have been interceptions. So he got away with those. But he, he gets picked off on plays that maybe necessarily aren't his fault. But at the same time, where was this energy when Jeremiah Mazzoli was doing this, these, these types of cavalier throws the mm-hmm. last few years. So you and I, I don't think gave Mazzoli any breaks on stuff like this. And then we're not going to do it with Dane either. Just, just because we like the guy clearly something isn't clicking here. So what do you think it is? What do you think's wrong with, with Evans right now? And do you think that this is something he can turn around? Oh yeah. I think he can turn it around. Absolutely. Um, you know, the fumbles have been a problem. Interceptions have been a problem this year. 
And I don't want to put all the blame on the offensive line, but I think that, you know, a large part of it has to do with that. I think he's nervous back there with these guys protecting him, and he would never admit that because he's such a team guy. But, um, you know, you watch the game that he played in Calgary or against Calgary, and I thought he was phenomenal. Um, You know, there was, I think, like a fumble, and there was some turnovers. But overall, I thought he played a great game. Now, the other two games, not so much. But it's hard when you're, you know, on the ground the whole game, like eight sacks in the Saskatchewan game. I think it was seven against him. And then, um, you know, Schultz was in there when they got another one. So I think it, he has a bit of happy feet. I think he's nervous back there. And and I don't blame him. You know, this offensive line has, has been trash so far this year. So I think he's he's going to be fine. I think he can, you know, once he, the, you know, we get some guys back along the offensive line, once he feels comfortable, I think you will see, um, the Dean that we've seen in previous years. I know there are people screaming at us. They made moves on the offensive line. We're going to get to that yes, in a second. Yep. Don't worry about it. But just, just the, this is strictly we're going to talk about the game. Mike, another area this team has been causing fans grief and gray hairs and pulling out their hair is in their play calling and especially on offense. They seem to steadfastly refuse to run the football. I don't think they adapt very well during games. And it really does feel like as an offense that was so unstoppable just two seasons ago that maybe it's been figured out by some of the better defensive coordinators around the league. I personally don't like calling for people's jobs because this is their livelihood. This is how they feed their families. I don't like doing that, but I am going to ask you this. Do you think maybe it's time for the Ticats to consider a change at, at, I don't think the def. I, I think we can leave the defense out of this because I think we'll talk about defense in a second. I think they've they've mostly been pretty good this year. I'm mostly focusing on the offense here. Do you think it might be time for them to? And you were on this with with the Condell stuff in the off season. Do you mm-hmm. think maybe it's time for the Ticats to maybe think of maybe not this year, but maybe in the off season going with someone new as as the guy in charge of calm plays on the offense? Yeah, I could see that as an option. You know, I I say we stick with him throughout this season, see how this offense operates. Um, the rest of the way, but, uh, yeah, there's, there is, there's no doubt about it. There is some heat on Tommy Condell. You know, he's been here for a while on and off. I know he left for a couple of years. He came back when, uh, Steinhauer came back, I believe. But, uh, yeah, man, this, this offense is just, it just doesn't look good. And you're right. The, the lack of running the ball is a big problem. We talked about it before he came from the Ken Austin, uh, coaching tree, and I don't think they even um, see very, you know, I don't think they're friends or anything. And and maybe his philosophy is different than Austin's, but it doesn't seem that way, the, the way that they're running the ball this year. I mean, I think the last game they had like, uh, what was it, uh, like six carries or something like that? Something ridiculous. Six, six something. designed runs because they had seven carries in total. Mm-hmm. But Dane Evans had one of them, and that was very clearly on a busted play where he just took off. Yeah. John Thomas Erdman had six carries in this game compared to Dane Evans throwing 42 passes. Six carries for 29 yards, and the, you know that was it. Uh, besides Dane running for three yards, so like I don't, I think you can get away with passing the ball a lot in the CFL, but I think there has to be the threat, you know, at least the threat that you're going to hand off the ball and. And, you know, Sean Thomas Ellington, I think, can get the job done, but we need to get Don Jackson back in the lineup so we can have a, a legitimate threat back there. Well, the problem with not running the ball isn't that like, – I don't think you need guys – like, certain guys – you know, your Andrew Harris's or in the past, like Mike Pringle, guys like that. Like, you can give them 20-something carries a game, and they'll carry your offense. I don't think you need a run-centric offense to win in this league. And actually, I think most run-centric teams – 
don't actually win all that much in the CFL. You get, but you need some sort of, like you said, threat of running the football because it takes the pressure off. Like if a defense knows, like in this game, like I said, six designed runs to 42 called pass plays, that's a seven to one pass to rush ratio. That is, you, you're not going to win because if the defense knows you're just going to throw every down, then those four defensive linemen will just pin their ears back and go after the quarterback because there's no concern there that you're ever going to, you can blitz him all day because it's if you if you get him quickly enough he's going to throw interceptions or he's going to you know what I mean mm-hmm. like it doesn't help that there's no if there's no secondary threat to run the football I think it obviously it just goes without, kind of goes without saying but it makes your offense way too predictable and in a game like this where for the vast majority of it it was a one score game and the Bombers offense didn't look very good for I would say almost the entire game a big play here or there, you got to, you want to, you're on the road. You can, you can pound, like take time off the clock, but they just, they just refuse to do it. And if it's, is it a, if, if they think it's a talent thing, then they, then they brought the wrong guys in. If they mm-hmm. think it's like, if they just not scheming to do it, then I just, I don't know why they wouldn't because we, at every level of football, you want some sort of balance and they're just not, they're just not doing it. Like six runs is, that's ridiculously low. Like and the mm-hmm. bombers, the bombers ran the ball. Like Brady Oliveira had 15 carries in this game, only for 56 yards. Like the Ticats defense has been excellent against the run they were again, but they were running on first and ten. They were running on second and seven. Like if there, if that, if that's still something that you can do, even if it doesn't work every single time, it's still in the back of the defense's mind. It's like okay, it's second and 12, but what if they run a draw play? What if you know what I mean? Like. It gets the defense thinking, and if they're thinking, they're not reacting as quickly as they can, and that can lead to bigger plays later in the game. Yeah, and, you know, play action, you know, there's yep. no threat of that without the run game. And I was watching the BC Lions game, and they did a fake wide receiver screen, you know, pump fake to Lucky Whitehead, who's obviously oh, yep. a threat. Oh, yeah, I saw, I saw the and clip. The, and they jumped on that, and then they went deep. So stuff like that, you know, get them thinking. Like, I just think there needs – like I've said this a million times, but I think there needs to be more creativity in the offense. Um, you know, the same old, same old just isn't working right now. It sure isn't. This team has also made a lot of what tennis people call unforced errors, Mike. They took some bad penalties in this game. Cam Kelly's legal block, for instance, that kept a bomber's drive alive that ended up resulting in a Winnipeg field goal was one of those ones where it was kind of backbreaking. Even if it didn't really to seven, it's still like you had him off the field. You, you could have got the ball and that bombers were in their own deep in their own territory. It's like, Oh, you gotta be kidding me. But I think the focus here, Mike's gotta be the kicking game. The, it, it was bad again, Michael Domagala. He's not the answer, man. He, he's just not the answer. I, I, I got a ton of tweets about this after the game that, Oh, the offense didn't score a touchdown, but blame the kicker. And like for starters, like check the timestamps on the tweets, man. Like if I'm sending this in real time, there's a, there's a reason why. And those were sent in real time. And this game was happening. And, all that I got all those responses when I woke up the next morning. So like context matters in this context, like he missed a field goal when the score was seven, six for Winnipeg would have made it nine, seven for Hamilton. He missed another one when I think they were down by nine. I think it was, I think the mm-hmm. bombers had scored a touchdown or kicked a field goal. I think and would have made it a one score game. Like he has now missed at least one field goal or extra point in each of the team's first three games. He, he booted one out of bounds, a kickoff out of bounds in this one. And I, if, Long-term fans will remember you and I took Liram Hyrulahu's name away from him on the show when he did that, and he went on to become a damn all-star. Domagala has the second-worst field goal percentage of any kicker in the league, and he's ahead of the guy in last place and has twice as many attempts. 
as Boris Bede does. He is one of just two kickers to miss an extra point so far this year. The other is Winnipeg kicker Mark Leggio, who, if you read John Hodge's latest edition of Insider Talk that came out last week, was referred to as a U-sports-level kicker. If Leggio, who has missed two extra points and no field goals, I think he's like eight for eight or something on field goals this year, if he's U-sports-level, what the hell does that make Michael Domagala? You know what I mean? Like, if, if one guy is better and is considered the worst, then what's this guy? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I said about play calling, the play calling problems, I don't like to advocate for anyone losing their jobs, but I might have to make an exception here, Mike. I think we're well past the time for ending this experiment with Michael Domagala. I think it's time to go out and get a real kicker. I think like enough is enough. I think it, it, this it simply is not salvageable, in my opinion, at this point. Okay, okay, okay. It's, my only question is, who's out there? I mean, I know Haralau, but he's just like, I just don't think he wants to come back to the CFL. I don't think so either. I I don't think so either. Like, I don't, like, to me, this might be one of those ones where you just change it for the sake of changing. Because here's the thing. It can't get worse. It can't get worse. Oh, it could. Oh, it could. It's, it could. Could it? I mean, I mean, he was 4-6 last game. Um, I mean, he made some really good kicks in the field goal department along a 49. Missed one from 45 and 51. Listen, I, I'm not a big fan of his either, but I just don't know. I think it could get a lot worse. I, I really do. If you find, like, I don't know who you're going to bring in, um, but maybe maybe there's a guy out there who can, you know, come in. There's got to be tons of kickers out there that of course. You know, have the talent. Um, they just need to find them. So uh, I don't know if they're going to, you know, go out there and find a new guy. But And, and I, I was kind of against you um, on this subject, but... Now that you throw out those stats, you know, second worst percentage in the league and all that stuff and, and his past with the Ticats not kicking exceptionally great. I, I wouldn't I would not be upset if we found a new kicker, but I just don't I don't know if that's going to happen. Well, here's the thing. And this like I don't like I said, I don't like advocating for guys who lose their jobs. But my thing with him is, yeah, you look at that and you go, man, OK, for like he's kicking too many field goals like that. Like, again, it's not a singular problem for him. Like these, mm-hmm. the offense should be scoring touchdowns and not relying on him to yeah, kick. Yeah, he six shouldn't field be. Goals. He shouldn't be trying to kick six field goals in the game. No, that's absolutely not. However, if that's your job and that's what's happened, you got to make your kicks. And it's not that he's missing kicks; it's that he's missing important kicks. Exactly. When you're down by a single point, that field goal matters. When you're down by nine and you can make it six, that field goal matters. The game against, well, I think it was Saskatchewan first week, end of the half, kicking a field goal to take the lead, misses that one. Like, kickoffs out of bounds. Like, you can't, he's, my problem with him isn't, I don't think he's bad. He's, he can can kick field goals. I watched him at practice one time, kick a 70-yard field goal. That's impressive. He can do things that I couldn't even dream of doing, of kicking a football. If I could kick a football, I would have. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not trying to diminish his talent in any way. I just think that he's not good enough and that, and there's a lot of guys out there who aren't good enough. There's, there's gotta be how many NCAA programs, how many U sports programs, like how many junior football programs, like people can laugh at that, but Andrew Harris came from junior football and look at him. Like, and I'm not saying you're going to find the next Andrew Harris as a kicker, but there's so many guys playing football out there. There has to be someone that can come in. And do this job more consistently because that's my problem. My problem isn't with talent. It's with consistency. If he's, again, kicking six field goals in a game is never the goal for anyone. But if that's your job and that's what you're tasked with, I feel like you got to make those kicks. 
Yeah, I, I would agree with you on that. And I think you have to heap some of the blame on uh, management for not bringing in yep. enough talent into training camp. I mean, we go through this every year, and it's just not a concern of theirs, apparently. And if you have a terrible offensive line, then you're probably going to have to depend on your field goal kicker quite a bit because the offense isn't going to do so hot. So it's a tough situation. I just wish we didn't have to worry about it every season. I wish we could get a kicker in there that does a good job and we could just keep them for several years. Okay. I know most people probably don't want to hear us talk about anything positive, but we're going to end on something positive here. I thought the defense as a whole, Mike, for this one against Winnipeg, I thought they were pretty good. They allowed just one touchdown. They they sacked Zach Caleros four times, and they got a lot of pressure on him. One of them forced a bad throw by Caleros, and it was intercepted by Richard Leonard. I thought the defense played really well in this. I think this was the best night we saw from the defensive line all year and the worst we saw from the offensive line. What do you think? How how did you feel about the defense coming out of this game? Well, I felt that just like every other game, I thought the defense was the strong point of this team. Um, you know, especially the defensive line. Now it doesn't show up on the stat sheet. You know, they didn't rack up sacks. I think they had, I think one defensive lineman had a sack in this yep, one. Julian Hauser. Uh, yeah, Hauser. And I thought he had a really good game actually too. Um, but the others were Santos Knox, Cameron Kelly, uh, and um, Alden Darby. But yeah, I thought the defensive line had had pressure on the quarterback for for a lot of the game. And you know, we didn't see that in the first two games. And uh, I thought there was a big improvement in this one. And they obviously were stout against the run. Once again, I think the bombers yep. had, let me look, I got the stats in front of me, four yards of carry. That's, and, and you got to remember they were also running the ball late in that game because you run, when you're up by double digits and you have the ball with two minutes left, you're going to run the football. So a lot of those carries came there, but Hamilton, I think Hamilton's defensive front has been really good against the run. This was the best. I think I saw them against the pass. Like, as you said, getting pressure, you know, creating some sacks, even if, even if the numbers necessarily aren't there, mm-hmm. I think a lot, a lot of these sacks, the Santos knocks out, that comes from the defensive line playing so well. You, I think you could really notice the difference that Dylan Wynn made. Uh, I noted this in my piece for three down after the game, there were three drive ending plays that he himself made. He, he forced a couple of in- incompletions and he stuffed a run on like a second and five that ended a drive. So I thought he was excellent in this one. But you mentioned, you said Jovan Santos Knox's name, and I do kind of want to talk about him for a second. Has he quietly had one of the best years? Like, he's he's having a year that no one's talking about. He's, like, up there in tackles. He's he To me, he's having an all-star season. And do you remember when we when he was signed by the Cats? We were like, oh, he's, he's going to play middle linebacker? Like, I'm not so sure about that. He was okay last year. This year, I think he's been outstanding. He's I think, as as this point, I, get, I know it's only early, but I think he's been the the best player on this defense. And and if you were to take at this point like a vote for most outstanding defensive player on the team, I think he'd win it in a landslide. Yeah, he led the team in uh, tackles in this game with seven. I also thought that uh, Cameron Kelly had a really good game as well. Yeah, um, Knox bonehead penalty Cameron, aside, bonehead penalty aside, um, they both had sacks. Um, you know, Santos Knox had seven tackles. Cameron Kelly had five. So, yeah, I think that Santos Knox has started off the season really hot. And I think the whole linebacking corpse as a, as a whole has been really great. And like you said, Dylan Wynn, it's great to see Dylan Wynn back in the lineup doing his thing. He's just a beast in the middle there. And I think, you know, as the season progresses here, we're going to have a really dominant middle of that defensive line. I mean, rotating Mika Johnson and Ted Leron in there, it's going to be it's going to be trouble for a lot of teams. If the offense can just get to, like, average – I think this team could win a lot of football games. Like, I think this defense, like, yeah, the final score shows 26. They only allowed 19 of those points. And actually, they really only, I think, 17 of those because a couple of them came on, I believe they were punt singles. So 
if your defense is giving up 17 to 21 points a game, you're going to win a lot of football games because this league, you got you got to score to win is what they say. I don't know. I, I've, I've really, really liked what I've seen out of the defense so far. So the problem with them is they're just on the field too damn much. Yeah, like absolutely. The, there absolutely. was a 13 minute time of time of possession difference in this. And I know that mm-hmm. time possession doesn't always mean so much, but in a game like this, that was very physical, that was low scoring, that was close for the most part. If you're on the field, essentially almost a full quarter of action more than the opposition that that's hard to, that's kind of hard to, you know what I mean? Like, that's, yeah, that's, especially that's, that's, in this, that's a difficult situation for a defense to be put in. Yeah. And the CFL, it's just, you know, there can be, you can, the defense can be on the field so much because if the offense stinks and they're going two yep. and out, um, you know, it's kind of different in the NFL. You're probably going to manage to get a first down or two with, with four downs. Um, it's different in the CFL. So if your offense is stinking, um, you know, it, it's hard to put the blame on the defense when they fall apart uh, in, you know, in late game situations because they've just been on the field so much. So the offense needs to help them out. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Are you ready to wash this one away? Are we done talking about it? Yeah, let's flush this one down the toilet. All right, let's move on to Tiger Cat news, Mike. And your wish has been granted as the Cats swung a trade this weekend, acquiring American offensive lineman Colin Kelly from the Edmonton Elks in exchange for a seventh round pick in the 2023 CFL draft. Kelly has spent seven seasons in the CFL playing in 76 games with the Elks and Ottawa Red Blacks. He also spent time in the NFL with the Kansas City Chiefs and my dear San Francisco 49ers. Uh, Kelly missed the entire 2021 season due to a torn pectoral muscle, but he did start the first two games for the Elks this year before being a healthy scratch in Edmonton's game last week against Calgary. I think he was a healthy scratch because they knew that they were trading him and they didn't want him to get injured in that game, so that makes sense. From what it looked like at Tuesday's practice that I attended, it looks like Kelly is in line to start this Friday's game at left tackle. And the team also announced in another move on the offensive line that they have activated Canadian offensive lineman Coulter Wood-Manzi from the sixth game injury list. Though, in what I saw, I don't think he necessarily he's he's going to see a lot of the Maybe he's the, the, the backup offensive lineman, but I don't think he's starting. Uh, this may be just to get him back on the field, get him a little, get a little of that rust off. I think maybe after the bye week, we could see him get his, get his job back. But I think... I think Kelly is is going to start, at least as far as I could tell. So, Mike, your prayers have been answered. The Ticats have finally brought in that veteran offensive line help that you've been begging them to bring in for some time. Do you think this move will be enough to turn this line from dud into something moderately passable? Or do you think other moves need to be made to make this offensive line actually work? No, I don't think you need to make any more moves. Um, you get Colin Kelly. Uh, the only thing I'm worried about is, you know, he's switching the left tackle. And I... Yeah. I, I uh, I listened to the the press conference that he had. Yep. And he said it was kind of like, you know, you throw right-handed your whole life and then you start throwing left-handed. And I'm and I thought about that. I'm like, that would be really hard. Yep. Like that would be really hard to throw left-handed after throwing right-handed your whole life. So, I'm hoping the transition goes well um from right tackle to left tackle. I think it will. I'm hoping it will. But once we start getting guys back like Fontana and um, Revenberg was injured. I don't think he'll be out for that long. Um, oh, he, oh, he, oh, 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 yeah, he's back. Okay, awesome. So you got Colin Kelly, left tackle, Van Zyl on the right tackle, and then I think you know filling those guys in the middle. And I, I'm kind of confident about this offensive line. I think that's a pretty formidable unit, and I think we have some depth now. You know, you bringing in a guy like Saxlid. I know he's on the sixth game, but ho- hopefully he's back relatively soon. So I think there's some depth along the offensive line. 
and I'm pretty happy about it. I think this move, coupled with the health of the, like you said, the health of the unit getting back up there, I think this goes from, oh, God, what are we doing, to I'm not really that concerned. You know what I mean? Like, if when, when Woodmansey comes back, that kicks Gibbon back out to his nat- more natural position of guard, that allows the team to start four Canadians on the offensive line, which means everyone who's like, you got to get Don Jackson back out there, Don Jackson can get back out there. And I think that that makes the offense better. I, I think injuries have, and again, no one's going to say it's an excuse because every team's dealing with injuries, even this early in the season. But injuries, especially along the offensive line, like they've lost, they lost Woodmansey during camp. Then in the first game, they lost both Saxlid and Fontana. Like that's three Canadians, two of which were guaranteed. You knew you're going to start one and one was going to be your, your sixth offensive lineman like that. That takes a beating on your on your on your line, and then Vorn call didn't work out at at tackle and and all the other sort of stuff. So I think once the unit gets healthy, and now you've added a guy like Colin Kelly, who maybe will have some issues at left tackle, but I think he you don't play in the league for seven years, you don't get shots in the NFL. He's he, I believe mm-hmm. he came from what college was he? At? Was it Oregon State? I believe I believe he went to Oregon State. I think he played with Dylan. I think he was on some teams with Dylan Wynn at Oregon State. So. I think he's he's a smart enough player. You don't last this long in pro football without being adaptable. The last time the Ticats did this, and I know it's a different player, but Riker Matthews went from being the right tackle. They bring in Chris Van Zyl. They move Riker over to left tackle. And aside from that great cup game, I thought he was excellent in 2019 as the team's left tackle. So I think Kelly, as a veteran player, can, can make the switch. I'm maybe, maybe, But I, I don't disagree. Like, if that's what he feels, that, and I saw the same press conference, that it's like throwing with your left hand after always throwing with your right it probably will be a little bit of an adjustment, but I think he's, he's, he's such a, a, he's a veteran player. Like you don't play seven years in this league without being good. I, I get the feeling that I think that this line once went with this move and then the, the continued health of every, like everyone else getting healthy. I'm, I'm optimistic that this can get turned in the right direction. Yeah. Same here. I think with all those guys um, along the offensive line, I think this offense can be really, really good because we have weapons. You know, they may, may be younger guys like Dunbar and Tim White, but these guys are extremely dangerous. So give Dane some time back there. And uh, I think this can be a really, really good team because we know the defense is there. We know that they're going to be there. They're going to be dependent. Or uh, We can uh, count on them. To, to, to do their jobs, right? To keep us in game. So if the offense gets cooking, I mean, look out. So, and bringing in a guy like Colin Kelly, he's he's a veteran player, but he's not, he's 32. So he's not like, you know, approaching uh, 40 like Van Zyl. So I think we get some really good years out of him still. Yeah, even if even if you think that guys by 35, 36, and even saying that for an offensive lineman, I think is a little, Van Zyl's pushing 40 and he, I do think he's lost a little bit of a step, but he's still pretty darn good out there. Still, yeah, yeah. Offensive linemen can play till they're older, so I think if mm-hmm. if you bring him in and and this is like this might be the the move that now solidifies this position for this team for the next three or four years. And wouldn't that be a treat going into a training camp and being like, oh, guess what? We don't have to talk about left tackle for once. Like that would be very mm-hmm. nice. Uh, I would I would love that left tackle and kicker. If we could figure that out in the off seasons, that would be then great what, going forward. What will forward. we talk about then though? That's true. I guess we'll have to, we'll have to figure content. out something else to complain about. We'll, you know, we'll, we'll just play repeat episodes. That's what we'll do. I do <laughs> yeah, agree yeah. You know, that that if the offensive line does, if this does work, and Dane does get more time, but we've seen this offense like these receivers 
Tim White, you mentioned Dunbar, Braylon Addison's Braylon Addison. Like, given time, these guys can make a ton of plays. So we've seen some big plays from these guys, especially Dunbar. Dunbar has a couple of really long touchdowns. So when they do get that that opportunity to like Dane gets that chance to actually have time to make some plays. We've seen how this offense can click. I, I think they can get back there. I'm, I'm as, as bad as the offensive line looked in Winnipeg, this move as, as has made me, and then seeing would Manzi come back to practice today, like that mm-hmm. also is like, okay, I'm feeling a little bit more optimistic about this group as a whole. And, and if they, if they get the guys that essentially they wanted at the beginning of the season, minus trading for, for a guy like Kelly, maybe this won't be so bad after all. Yeah, I, I'm at this point right now, I'm feeling pretty good about the offensive line now going in, you know, it might not be uh, up to up to par, you know, the next couple of games. But I think down the road, um, when the games start getting really, really important and we get guys back, I think this team will be uh, pretty good along the offensive line. And if Mike is optimistic about the offensive line, everyone should be optimistic about the offensive mm-hmm. line because that's mm-hmm. Mike's biggest, biggest thing. Okay, our next bit of Ty Cats news is a little bit of a weird one. Mike, I assume you saw the back and forth on Twitter between Simone Lawrence and Jeff Reinbold? Yeah, I saw. I, I didn't see any tweets back at uh, Simone, but I saw the one that, you know, called him fake and all that stuff. So it was a very weird situation. Very weird. So for those out there that maybe don't know what happened, this all started when Reinbold went on the Rod Peterson show. And I'm just making sure I'm not struck by lightning by saying that man's name. Uh, And he essentially called out Simone for his slow start to the season. This is a direct quote from Reinbold. Right now for Hamilton, the key is their marquee players have got to start to play. Right now you look at Simone Lawrence and he has no sacks, no fumble recoveries, and no big plays in two games. This obviously got back to Simone, and he tweeted out that Jeff Reinbold was fake as, you can fill in the blanks there, rhymes with duck. Uh, Full disclosure for any new listeners, we had Jeff on the show many years ago in one of the rare episodes where we had a guest. Uh, It was an excellent episode. It was fun to talk to him. And obviously, we both hold Simone in the highest of regards. So it's, it's, this is... This is like ripping at two parts of our heart, I guess, in a way here, Mike. But mm-hmm. with that said, what do you make of this beef between two these two guys that kind of sprung up out of absolutely nowhere? It's very, very odd because Jeff Reinbold seemed like such a player's coach. You know, he, um, such a, you know, a nice guy, essentially. And I don't know what he's doing with his career, uh, if he's going into the media um, full time, because I know they did some stuff overseas uh, for an FL football and now he's on the Rod Peterson show and he, he, you know, he left the CFL and now he's going to coach in major league football or something. The so, MILF. Yeah, the MILF league. So it's, uh, I don't know what he's doing. He's trying to cause controversy. Cause I don't, I don't buy that, that Simone hasn't played well because he doesn't have any sacks or big plays or fumble recoveries. You don't, obviously Jai Frambold knows more about football than me, but I just don't, I don't buy that evaluation. He's a linebacker, and yeah, maybe, but he's not—he's not necessarily a pass rusher. He's—he's he's not necessarily a coverage guy. Like he's kind of a do-it-all thing. I don't think he's played particularly well this year, and I think he would tell you himself that he's not played up to his own standard. But I think the idea that this team is zero and three, or at the time of this quote, they were zero and two, is because he doesn't have any like fumble recoveries. Like, I don't. There are there are a laundry list of reasons why this team is winless right now. And I would not put Simone Lawrence's lack of explosive plays on defense. Mm-hmm. Maybe it definitely not in the top five, probably not in the top 10 of reasons why this team hasn't won a game so far this season. So again, I, 
I, I'm kind of with you is, is like, I know he's, like you said, we, he's coaching in that league. He obviously something happened in Montreal where he's not coaching there. And I'd really one day like to get the story about that. Cause that like, I like to get the story on his departure from Hamilton mm-hmm. and why he signed up to coach in Montreal. And then like on the eve of camp decided, and well, maybe it wasn't eve of camp, but it was pretty close to start of training camp was like, Oh, I'm, I'm not coming in. And they ended up giving, I think with Byron Archampo is now the, uh, the, the special teams coordinator in Montreal. So, I don't know. There, there's there's a story there somewhere. Obviously, there's been some sort of again. He if he if he is in the media now, it's it's his job to be critical. I get that. This just feels like kind of a I don't know, weird criticism, I guess, because I, I like you. I don't really necessarily see Simone's play as the reason why this team because because yeah. if Simone has fallen and hasn't played very well, Joe Santos Knox has played well above expectation, so it kind of evens out. No. Yeah, I I just don't. I don't see where, you know, Simone's play has caused us, you know, to lose a game or, or anything like that. So maybe he hasn't had the hottest start uh, to the season, but, you know, he'll get there. He's Simone Lawrence. He'll, he'll, he'll get it get it going. So I, I don't – it seems – I don't know. And then the way that Simone came back at him like that, yeah. it seems like kind of personal or something. Well, here's the thing, and I think this is where people are kind of getting this twisted. I don't think – Lawrence has a problem with the criticism. It's the avenue in which Ryan, it's, it's Ryan Bull going on Peterson's show. Because mm-hmm. if you recall back in 2019, after the whole Zach Caleros thing, and I wrote about this for three down and Simone actually like talked to me, like got back to me about this. Peterson called him a thug. And yeah. I wrote this piece on three down about how that's inappropriate language because of the connotations of what thug means when you're talking about an African-American athlete. And a lot of people see that. So I think the problem is not necessarily that Reinbold made these criticisms about Simone. I think it's the fact that he went on Rob Peterson's show and the way that Simone kind of talked about his, like when he, when he sent out that tweet, it was like, you, when this guy said this, you told, you know what I mean? Like if you go, what it's mm. to me, it's the, and, and he, and he replied to somebody, I wish I could remember who it was. Someone, someone like got Simone to like quote tweeted someone. He was like, Hey, like this shows that he's, you know, he's triggered you or some, such idiotic nonsense. And he's like, do you think that I'm bothered by the criticism or do you think that I'm bothered by the fact that I had a conversation with this guy about this other guy who he's now talking to? So I think that's where, okay. that's where the problem lies. It's not necessarily in the fact that, cause I, like I said, I think Simone would, if, if we were to talk to him would say like, I haven't played up to my standard. I think he, he would agree with that. I think it's, it's the Avenue in which Reinbold chose to air this criticism versus him actually airing the criticism. If, if that makes sense. No, it does. I didn't. Uh, I forgot about that uh, that issue a couple of years ago. Where Rudd does what he does, and he's a yep. you know he, obviously he is, the, he is that what he comment. is. He's not going to change. That's what. No, exactly. That's. I don't even think that he thinks there's anything wrong with what he said, which is a problem. But I think he's just you know that's who he is. He's a he's a good old Western boy, and you know that's just the the way that it goes. But um, I can understand why he'd be so upset that Jeff Reinbold is talking about him uh, on, on Rod's show. Look, I'm in, I'm in the business of giving my opinions on, on athletes. I, I get that sometimes you can ruffle people's feathers, but it, it's, it's the job, but there there's the right way to go. In my opinion, there's the right way to go about it. There's a wrong way to go about it. I don't necessarily agree with the way Rod goes about it. I don't think Simone does either. And I think that's where the disconnect came with Reinbold. I don't think it's, I don't think it's about the criticism at all. And hopefully we've, we've kind of, well, hopefully people listen to this and, and we'll understand that that aspect of it. Uh, let's move on to some CFL news, Mike. There isn't a ton of news, actual news to discuss, but I think we would be remiss if we didn't talk about the biggest 
story in the CFL so far in this early season, and that is BC Lions quarterback Nathan Rourke. Rourke has led the Lions to a 2-0 start, and this is almost unbelievable. In those two games, they have outscored their opponents by a combined score of 103-18. to They beat the Elks 59-15 in Week 1, and then somehow kept that pace up when they absolutely thrashed the Argos 44-3 last Saturday night. Rourke has thrown nine incompletions and 74 pass attempts and has tossed for 718 yards and seven touchdowns in his two games this season. He also has 93 rushing yards and two rushing touchdowns on the season, which means his nine total touchdowns are equal to the number of incompletions he has this season. Rourke also broke Jerry Dottilio's 41-year-old record for passing yards in a game by a Canadian quarterback when he threw for 436 yards in that win over the Argos. Mike, you've gone on record as not really, I, I don't mean this in a mean way, but you don't really care about Canadian quarterbacks. Like, that's not like, there's a lot of people who are like, Canadian quarterback, rah, 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 you're not in that boat. But even you have to be impressed with what this Oakville, Ontario native has done in his first two starts as BC's number one quarterback, no? Yeah, I'm very impressed. And it's not that I was against Canadian quarterbacks. I, I was just sick of hearing, you know, the hype every year. This is the guy. This is the guy. And then, you know, Brandon Bridge is the guy. And Brandon Bridge was terrible. But I'm happy for him. I mean, the guy is is a good quarterback. He's, he's uh, you know, he's lighting the world on fire out there. And I was, it was unfortunate that the buzz didn't uh, carry over to the next game because I think they had 35,000 at the first, 15,000 at the second. So hopefully they can build that, you know, fan base up better. But um, Nathan Rourke has looked spectacular. I mean, that whole offense is just is running at a very high high rate. So um, I think it's great for the league. I think you know I think they can market him really well. I think he's playing so well that he's getting some interest from NFL teams, which is you know you, you always want to see guys succeed at the next level. But I just feel like this guy could could be such a star in the CFL that they have to do everything they can to keep him around. And I know it's basically impossible if, you know, he's a shot in the NFL, he's going to take it. But I think you can build around this guy. I think, I think for years and years and years, you could get uh, great crowds in BC if they're able to keep him around. But you, you got to remember though, we've seen guys, anyone is going to take that NFL shot. There is not a player in this league. Mm-hmm. They can say how much they love the city they play in. There's not a single one that wouldn't take the NFL opportunity. But do you remember back in the 90s, Henry Burris didn't really play a lot, got an opportunity in the NFL, didn't work out, came back, spent the rest of his career here. Dave Dickinson, same thing. Yeah, your Doug Fluties and your Jeff Garcias, Jeff Garcia especially, went down to the NFL and never came back. That happens. But I think for the most part, Ricky Ray went down after a couple years in Edmonton, was was with the Jets for a year or two, came back. Casey Printer is another example. So guys do come back. And Casey Printer is a bad example because he ended up not being very good after that. But Ray obviously went on to have a Hall of Fame career. Dickinson came back and had a Hall of Fame career. And Burris came back. And and there are other players that we've seen. Andy Fantuz went down to the NFL to give it a shot. Didn't make it. Even if he goes down to the NFL, and if he, if, but if he doesn't make it down there, which is, is entirely possible, I hope he does. I hope all CFL players that try the NFL get that big money contract and set themselves up for life after football and not ever having to worry about money again. But if it doesn't work out, he can always come back and then could be that face of the league, like you said. He's still very young. I think he's only like 24, 23, 24. Where I pump the brakes a little bit is I'm starting to see people say he's the best quarterback in the league. Best quarterback so far this year? Absolutely. Not no question. Best out of everyone in the league overall? You're you're pushing a little too far. I've been enjoying watching him play. It's been tough to catch all his games. Like I'm 
I'm usually falling asleep by halftime, but by halftime, the games are over anyway, so it doesn't really matter. Mm. But he he's out there. He's out there crushing it. And I remember watching him at Ohio University with the Bobcats, watched a bunch of those, especially the bowl games. I didn't see a ton of the regular season stuff because it's not like I subscribed to the Mac network or anything. But the Mac would have, they, they would, you know, Tuesday night Mac Shin would be on, on TSN sometimes and I'd catch him and he, he was really dynamic. He, he was a really good quarterback. I just never knew if he would get his opportunity in the CFL, even though he was drafted by the Lions. It's like, oh, they got Riley. Like, he's going to be there. He's never going to get an opportunity. Riley, out of maybe not out of nowhere, but retired maybe much earlier than anyone thought. He's got, he got his shot, and he's making the most of it. I, I it, he's been ex- he's been the most exciting player to watch so far this year. Mm-hmm. And I'm with you. If 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 it was unfortunate that BC clearly saw a, a decrease in attendance, but I think that that's a long term. We we've seen what they're capable of. That's a long term rebuild, and I think I think even the mm-hmm. even the ownership in BC knew that they knew that it's like we're gonna. Yeah, we had thirty-five thousand here. We're, it's not like they're going to get twenty-five every game right off the hop after that. You know what I mean? So, yeah. But th- but this is an exciting football team. The quarterback is is dynamic. This is something that if if works, if they can keep and they can sustain it, I think the fans will come back. But it's been fun to watch. Like I'm not going to lie. Like as much as I'm like let's let's pump the brakes on the hype train a touch. How can you not love what you've seen out of him so far? And what's really impressed me is his arm strength. I didn't yep. think that he could chuck the ball like that. And, you know, there was a couple passes in that last game where I was like, wow, that was on a dime. That was a really good pass. So, um, yeah, I knew that he could run the ball really well. But, you know, to have the 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 ability to run the ball and then toss the ball downfield, uh, this guy is, this guy has a, has a very bright future. And, you know, I hate to bring it down with the attendance talk, but that's just the way it is, like, especially in big cities like BC, like you're not going to get big crowds early on. And I know that they had that that big crowd in the first game. But I think as the season goes on and if BC keeps, you know, playing well, those those crowds will start building and building and building. And then, you know, if the playoff game, they'll have a big crowd. So I'm not too, too worried about that. I, I agree with you completely. Okay, so we have a bit of a mini mailbag segment to do this week. We got some unsolicited questions or an unsolicited question, I guess. That you thought, Mike, that you thought would be good fodder for the show. So, what do you have for us to discuss then? What what has the what have the fans done to to lessen our our work on the show? Well, we got our our buddy, longtime listener Adam Stalker. His question is: Would any of the Ticats starting Canadians, ex- excluding Adelke or Revenberg, start for any other team? And also, should the team consider starting Ste Sean Thomas Erlington at slot in place of Poppy White, who has not been good? STE did play in slot some under June Jones. All right. Well, let's start with the first question. Yeah. Chris Van Zyl. Chris Van Zyl started for the team in this league. I don't yep, think there's any, I, I don't yep, think there's any I question agree. about that. Um, yep. Revenberg. Yeah, definitely would start. Gibbon. I'm not so sure about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mason Bennett, probably not. And that, I, that might be less to do with ability and more to do with not very many teams start a Canadian defensive end. Unger, I think, could start for other teams because he's the fifth receiver, and he—I mean, he had a—he yeah. had a wicked catch in the game against Winnipeg. I think it was like a forty-something yard catch and run on a on a really nice throw from Evans, one of Evans' best throws of the night. Just it looked like it had a pick six written all over it, and he right. gunned it in yep. there to Unger, who cut it up field. That was a really nice play. I think Unger could could be a starter for the teams. Mm-hmm. Delican, Revenberg, absolutely. But yeah, I think I think Unger and Van for sure. Uh, well, maybe not Unger for sure. Vanzal definitely. Vanzal will definitely start for. I would say. Yeah. 
every I think every other team in the league, if the Ticats were to say we're trading Chris Van Zyl, I think they'd get offers from all eight teams. So yeah, I think I, I get the point of Adam's question is that Hamilton's starting Canadians might not be as good as they were two years ago, but I do think there's there's ones that would that would start elsewhere. I, I don't think it's as bad. And you got to remember, Ted Laurent's not a starter, and I think he could he could still be if, if he would have tested free agency. I think he I mean maybe he did test free agency. Yeah, I think he did, but didn't get didn't get a. I, I think someone would again take him as their starter, uh, and I think that Stavros Katsantonis. I know he's a backup, but if we didn't have Tunde Adelike, I think Katsantonis could start. And I think with his contract coming up, it's either this year or next year. I think it might be next year. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if he's not on the team or they have to make a decision on one of those two guys because uh, I think he's he's starter worthy. So there is some good Canadian talent on this team. I, I don't think it's necessarily as dire as maybe Adam makes, makes it suggest with, with his question. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I think that, you know, there some, like you mentioned Gibbon, I'm not sure he'd be a starter on another team. But but all the rest, I think, are close to, if not, would-be starters on uh, – on any other team in this league. But um, the second part of the question is, do you think that uh, STE should be playing in the slot over Poppy White? I don't think he wants to. Like, I think it, because A, if you're a Canadian playing slot back, you're going to make more money. So if he wanted to do that, I think he already would have said like, hey, put me in the slot. I think he sees himself as a running back. Now, whether the team could say like, hey, this is where we're going to use you, whether you like it or not, that's another question. But I just, I don't think he, I think he wants to play running back. I think that that's just it. And the thing is, I don't know if he's necessarily a great running back. I think he's a great offensive weapon. So I think that that's might be some of where Adam's coming with this question is that if you use him in, in that, like maybe you run those, those sweet plays or you bring him into the backfield to run occasionally, maybe he'd be more effective. But I, I just think that if, if he had wanted to make that move, you're going to make more money. Like he's not going to be a starter. At, like he is a starter at running back. You know what I mean? Like he's not going to be, he's not going to get John Corner, or Andrew Harris money as a starting, as a, as a Canadian running back, but he could have, there's a kind of a dearth of Canadian receivers out there right now. If he wanted to make the move to slot back, I, I think he'd be really good at it. He would have probably mm-hmm. made more money. Don't you think? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, if you're not that fifth Canadian receiver, if you're an actual part of the offense, then yeah, you'd be making some pretty good coin. I assume. Yeah, so, yeah, what do you think? Do you think they should move him to the slot? I, it, all, it all depends if Don Jackson's in the lineup because, you know, if we have Thomas Erlington, um, I think he's our best running back behind Don Jackson. You know, I like Malik Irons too, but I think Sean Thomas Erlington has shown a little bit this season that he's, you know, fully recovered from that the, the bad injury a couple of years ago. And I think that he's got a little bit of a step back. I think his speed's back a little bit. I think... You know, he's he's that player that he was a couple of years ago or close to it. So um, I think he can be an effective running back. It's just that he's not get, getting the chance. And if he is, he's getting a couple of touches and then they're just giving up on it. So, yeah, I, I don't see because then, you know, they want to start two Canadians at receiver, right? Once everyone's healthy or maybe maybe not. That's not the plan anymore. But I can't see them starting three Canadians in the receiver spot. No, 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 no. There's Addison Dunbar and Tim White, there's no chance of taking any one of those guys no. off the field. So you only have two more spots left. And it's not that I don't think, think he could be effective in the slot pack. I think he could, but I just don't, I don't see it in the cards this year. And this is no disrespect to Adam's question. I think it's a great question. But if if the concern with this offense is Poppy White's production, 
this there's a problem with this offense. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like it's Tim White, it's Braylon Addison, it's Stephen Dunbar, and Poppy White's only in there because of injuries at receiver, because yeah. Lamar Durant got hurt. Like Poppy White would likely have never seen or seen very little on the offensive side of the ball if Lamar Durant didn't get hurt in the first week of training camp. Like I understand that he hasn't been he hasn't been that good. I think he's been okay. I think he's been a little bit better than Adam might suggest with his question. But if if this offense is faltering because of Poppy White, then I think that there's much deeper issues with this yeah. with this unit than than just who's going to be the fourth of fifth, of five receivers. And I saw that I think I saw that they activated Anthony Johnson onto the main roster. Oh, did, did they? That? I believe. Oh, so. on, the, on the transaction page. Yeah, I did see that. Yeah. I don't. I'm not sure what that's necessarily about, to be quite honest. Because when I saw him yeah. practicing, he he looked like he was practicing as I'd normally seen him. So I'm. Uh, but okay. who the hell knows, right? Yeah, so maybe so, maybe Anthony Johnson in the future, is, you I know, think, maybe he slides he, in there. Not a star. I won't say he's going to be a star because that's ridiculous. I think he can he could be a difference maker, but that's the problem is, is that he plays the same position. I think he's most effective as that boundary side receiver. And right. I think Stephen Dunbar's. I don't think you can take Dunbar out of there. I think that that's no. the position he was born. If he's if Dunbar's going to be a, a long term Canadian receiver, like Canadian Football League receiver. That's the position I think that he's best suited for. I said that in the we we talked about who we thought was going to have a breakout year. You said Tim White, and I agree with you, but I wanted to kind of give another answer. I thought Stephen Dunbar could have a pretty big year. He's got two big touchdowns this year, but I think he's perfectly suited for that to be that guy on the inside, like on the on the on the short side there. I, and I think Johnson's the same. They're both kind of big, bigger bodied guys, not necessarily speed. I know Dunbar's had the two long touchdowns, but he's not necessarily a burner. I don't think you'd classify him as that. I I think that. Having two guys like that, I don't know if it necessarily would work if if you had Johnson or Dunbar in the slot, you know, doing the waggle and whatnot. So I I don't know. Well, I guess we'll have to wait and see because, like you said, if Dunbar or um, if Johnson has been activated to the active roster, that could make things interesting in this upcoming game against the Elks. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, you know both our picks have had pretty good seasons so far. You know, I'm looking at the numbers right here. Tim White led the team in uh, yards this last past game and Dunbar was right behind him. So those guys are both emerging stars in this league for sure. Well, that's just that second year. And this is why I think, I, I think the question was about second year receivers, but I've talked about this before that second year is where you kind of separate the guys who were excellent in their rookie year or re- like, Oh, this is a budding star. And that it's year two where it's like either guys take the jump and become that receiver. Braylon Addison, for instance, had a great ending to the 2018 season. Let's see what we what he does in 2019. Took the leap to all-star. He's been solid ever since. It's the mm-hmm. same with these guys. You you get to, it's a, to me, it's a, you can look great as a rookie, but it's that second year when teams know your tendencies, they can game plan for you. That's to me when you, when you see guys separate themselves. And I, I think we're seeing that. I think Tim White has the higher upside. I think he's more likely to be the superstar out of the two. But I think Stephen Dunbar could have a really solid career. Like if he gets enough opportunities, of course that changes things, right? But if he if he's in the league for a decade, I think he could be one of those guys that I don't like to compare players to Hall of Famers, but I could see him as like a Manny Arsenault type where he's in the league for so long is always and Manny Arsenal had excellent seasons with the BC Lions. I'm not trying to take anything away from that, but that just that solid, steady presence, you know what I mean? Like, that's where I think Dunbar, whereas I think Tim White has, like, superstar potential, I think Dunbar has star potential to be sort of, like, that second or third option versus being the guy that everyone game plans against. I know that might sound a little bit insulting to the guy because he probably is like, oh, I can be a superstar, but I, I'm a, I hope I that made sense with what I said. 
Mm-hmm. And I think that Poppy White, you know, he hasn't had the greatest year, but if we can get that offensive line going, I think, you know, he's a speed threat, right? So yeah. maybe we can get him down the field and uh, start improving his numbers. So I think we we could see a breakup from Poppy still. Yeah, we'll have to wait and see. So like, we've gone on record, Mike. I mean, I, I've gone on record as saying that I don't believe must-win games exist until a loss means you either don't make the playoffs or you're eliminated from the playoffs. That said, this Friday night's game between the Ticats and the Edmonton Elks, I think is as close as you can get to a must-win game at this time of year. Both teams enter this game at 0-3, with the Elks' latest loss coming at the hands of the Calgary Stampeders by a score of 30-23. to I think, having watched the Elks this year, I think they've improved slightly as the season has gone on. They're 0-3, mm-hmm. but they've been the last two games, they... Uh, they got blown out in week one, but they gave the Riders a tough game in week two, and they held a lead on Calgary going into the second half of that game in week three. So I think if there's any Tiger Cat fans out there who sees this as like a walkover game, I think they should probably think twice. Uh, the Elks still feel, uh, despite that to me, like a team that is, they're, 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 they're better, but they still feel like they're a year away, if that makes sense. So mm-hmm. Mike, how do you kind of see this one playing out, and what do you think the Ticats have to do to avoid dropping to the dreaded 0-4 on the season? I think that if they lose this game, it would be pretty devastating. I mean, you go, you're go, you going into the bye week at 0-4. It's just such a bad start to the season. And, you know, we've seen bad starts to the season and, you know, waiting for them to improve, and then it just never comes. So it, it's, a, it's a hole. It would be a big hole to be 0-4. But I think, you know, I think they just have to protect Dane. You know, the defense is going to be there, and – I don't want to sound like a broken record because like every every game preview, I pretty much say the same thing. But I want to see improvements along the offensive line. I'm hoping to see Kelly at left tackle. You know, playing his old team that would be that'd be a good thing. Um, you know, this I think it would help out the offensive line quite a bit. And uh, yeah, I think you know, run the ball, protect Dane, uh, and I think we should be good. But but I'm with you, man. I think that Edmonton Elks have improved every single game. And that's what I expected with Chris Jones taking over. I think you're going to see improvements every single week and then maybe be a contender next season. So I'm not overlooking them. I, I think I think it's going to be a tough matchup. For what they need to do in this game, it's whatever they did against Winnipeg, do the opposite. Because the, that Winnipeg yeah. game, offensively speaking, couldn't have gone anywhere. Defensively, just continue doing what you're doing. They, You look at like the points given up and you're like, Oh my God. Like, but if you, if you dig deep into it, yeah, they gave up 30 against the only game that the defense, and again, game is not right, but they gave up 30 against the riders. The only game that the defense really, in my opinion, struggled was the second half of the Calgary game. Like that should have been, but the offense screwed up so much that it, yeah, it didn't, everything went wrong for that team in the second half. That's okay. That, ha- that happens. It's not okay, but that happens sometimes. It's pro sports. The other guys get paid too. Right. The Winnipeg game, I thought the defense was good. I thought they were just on the field too much. If if the off to me, this it all revolves around the offense being, and they don't have to score a touchdown every time they're out there, no. but sustaining drives, getting in scoring position, the kicker making his goddamn kicks, like stuff like that. That's where I think if you do that, you ease the pressure on the defense, and I think the defense can then go up because I don't think Edmonton, like I said, and you agreed with. They're getting better, but I don't think they're there yet. This should no. be a game. If the Ticats are as good as we think they can be, this should be a game that they win. Not necessarily. They're not going to blow them out by like 30 points, but this should be a nice, comfortable, you know, 13, 17 point win in my estimation. Maybe because, <clears throat> pardon me, even that St. Peter's game was a 10 point stamps lead with like 35 seconds left. And the Elk 
kicked a field goal to blow the spread, by the way, sons of bitches. <laughs> um, but you know what I mean? Like they, they kicked a field goal because they had to score twice anyway. So they kicked yeah. the field goal when they got down there, then they went the onside kick, didn't get it. So yes, it was a seven point loss, but when you think about it, it, it circumstances dictated that that could have been a, a bigger margin of victory. Right. So I yeah. think that the cats could win this by double digits, but I don't, I think this is going to be a much harder. Chris Jones is a good defensive mind. He has caused Ty cats teams fits with his defensive game planning. But if, if the Ty cats are to be, if they, if they're as good as we think they can be, they have to win this game because I think if they lose this, I think you and I are coming back next week and we're reading off the obituary on the season. I don't think there's coming back from, I don't care how bad the rest of the East division is. I don't know if there's coming back from 0 and 4. 0 and 4 going into the bye. That's bad. I, I don't know. 0 and 2 is one thing. Even 0 and 3 with, with the way the division is, it's like, okay, it's not great, but there's still wiggle room here. 0 and 4, you start you start getting into that, okay, they're going to have to win nine of their last 14 games. Like, Just remember, Josh, though, the BC Lions started 1 and 5. <laughs> oh, my God. I swear to God. I swear to God, I'll kill you. I will kill you. I swear, but don't ever do that to me again. But you know what? You threw me off my game there. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I just, I I also think that there needs to be no boneheaded coaching decisions either. You know, there's been some questionable coaching decisions this season so far. And we didn't bring it up. Why are you kicking a field goal down 16? This is when we didn't bring up the Winnipeg game. Why were they kicking a field goal down 16 to make it a 13 point game? Like, how? You turn a two-score game into a two-score game. What? 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 I know. Yeah, I, it I comes back that. to like the, the some of the coaching decisions that you know. It's very baffling to me that I forget what game it was, but it might have been the Calgary game. But we were deep down in their end. Could have made could have made it a three-possession game. It's third and two, and we do a QB sneak. Like, don't get it. We need. It was the Calgary we, game. You're right. Yeah, and you know, there's been some other stuff too. I can't recall right now, but. Just in general, the CFL needs to stop. Uh, offensive coordinators need to stop depending on that that QB plunge when it's like, it, I am an advocate of it when it's you know a yard or less, but two yards is way too far. And I saw a game on the weekend, I forget what game it was, but they were on the goal line and they did three QB sneaks in a row and got stuffed. Like can BC, we, BC, yeah, it might have been. I think it was BC. Yeah, so like change it up on those like third and short like they know it's coming the defenses know it's coming because the offensive coordinators don't have any creativity in this league and they're just going to plunge forward and you know it's it's easy when you know something's coming so there needs to be adjustments like league wide on those those situations i remember it was i i know arlen bruce caught the touchdown pass and I know Adam Trafalis, which is a name that's going to – that's oh. a deep cut for Ticats fans. Yeah. He was the the designated, you know, Sneaky QB guy. plunger. Yeah. It was second – I think they were – I think it was 20 – I think it was 2010. It may have been 2009. I think – you know what? No, I think it was – yeah, Bruce was on the team in 2009 after about week three or four. So it might have been 2009, and they were playing the Stamps. And it was a second and one, and everyone's like, oh, it's it's going to – oh, here comes Trafalis. It's going to be a, a plop. They're just going to pick up the first down. And he faked it, went back to pass. Bruce ran a streak down the, he and he was covered. And Trafalis threw it up there, kind of, you know, didn't didn't – it wasn't a great pass. Bruce caught it, scored a touchdown. Ticats won. Where is that? Mm-hmm. I, maybe, not, maybe not on third and one, but on those second and ones where – like 
if you were to pull that out once, every other time you brought out a quarterback to do, because the Ticats quarterback plunger is Matthew Schiltz, who can throw the football. You know what yep. I mean? It's not like when they had uh, David Watford did it and was great at it because he was a bloody bull. Like David Watford's a big dude. So it's like you bring him in there. He's running like he's a fullback. I got no, pro- but you got a quarterback who can throw. Why not give that Take a chance? Take a take chance. A ch- because if you, if you do it on second and one and it doesn't work, you still got third and one to pick it up. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? But we see these second and ones, these second and inches and teams just go the safe route. It's not only they empty out the back, empty out the backfield. So there's no, like, you know, you're not going to hand it off to anyone. That's for sure. So yeah. You're just giving it away. Yeah, like even if you even if you kept a back back there, maybe you because I th- I think I could be wrong. I might have to go back and and find the game to make sure I got. I know it was a pass. It may have been a play action pass. Like they may have faked a run to like DeAndre Cobb and then threw it deep. You know what I mean? I, yeah. I, now I'm now I'm less certain about that. But I know it was a throw. I, that, that I know. That's what they. You do things like that. It's like the onside punt. Maybe it doesn't work, and maybe that doesn't work. Maybe, you know, you throw it down deep, doesn't work. Okay, you know, but it puts that in the mind of the defense that the next time this comes up, oh, they they could throw, they threw it last time. Maybe they'll do it again, and maybe they ease off a little bit. It's like you, you just do the thing between the center and the guard. It's just a little boring. It's, it's, it's predictable. It's too predictable. Yeah, and even with the yard off the ball, like you think that you should be able to get the yard, but it – I see that, you know, the quarterbacks need getting stuffed more and more and more. In this I agree. League. Dane Evans got cool. the, the one where I, I know he said in his yep. press conference after the game, oh, no, I had the first down. If you go watch that back, I don't think he had the first down. And no, he got I don't think so either. Now, I do think his forward momentum was stopped. So I don't think it, the, the strip and the touchdown should have counted. But I but don't think Dane. A turnover. Yeah, right? it, it would have been. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But, you know, there's the difference between strip and a touchdown and turnover at midfield. But, you know what I mean? But I don't think he got the first down. But. Like that, he was that what got blown up. It got like you said. Now third and two is a little different. That to me is just mind-bogglingly stupid. I, I don't know why are you doing that, but that got stuck. Like it's not. It hasn't. Teams have gotten better at defending it. So I don't think it's. And how many times do we see where they get it by like the nose of the football? Like there's there's a bunch yeah. of times I'm watching games and it's like I don't know if he got that. Now some teams some teams do it and they get it. You know the Riders do it. I think really well. I think they're one of the teams I saw this year that just seems like every time they do that they they. They pick it up, but there's some, sometimes like, I just wish the teams, I don't know why in the last decade we've seen teams get so conservative like this, take a shot, do something different. And then, cause that's what they always say. You want, you want the defense to, uh, to be thinking and not reacting like right away. That's a great way to do it. Teams don't do it. We should be offensive coordinators. That's, that, that's basically where I'm going Absolutely. with this. Someone Absolutely. Has no coaching experience, but let's hire us for as an offensive coordinator. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we're fairly young. You know, the, the all the uh, guys in the NFL, all the coaches are going young. So, well, I'm, I mean, we're I'm not some of those coaches. Yeah, me too. Actually, I'm, I'm getting good. out there. Yeah, no, I'll scratch that that idea off the. But it's funny though because I remember I put out a tweet on the Podsky account in the off season, and it was about the Ron Lancaster, you know, call in uh, the yep. East final. Hand, you know, fake handoff goes deep to a freaking linebacker. That would uh, never you know? happen today. Never. And I and I said, we need more coaches in this league like that. And guess who liked it? Orlando Steinhauer liked that tweet. So, Orlando. Orlando, sorry. Uh, that's, 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 let's try some of this. And I know he's not the offensive coordinator, but, you know, he probably have the final say if they're going to, you know, take a risk like that. So, let's, uh, let's, let's mix it up on second and short, third and short. 
All right. We have gone way longer today than I ever anticipated, but we did like 20 minutes on Slurpee cups. So I right. guess that's what happens. This was Pods for this week. I am Josh Smith. Now, my Graham, eat them raw. Eat them raw.